1 Samuel chapter 26. This is David in the midst of his, what we think, uh, scholars think is about a 10-year period, training period, to be king of Israel. As, uh, as training periods go, I got to tell you, this is as hard as it gets. I was in Hebrews chapter 12 this week. And it says this, verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12, no chastening or training or discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Don't you want that to be true? Don't, that, don't you want that to be true for you? Calvary Chapel. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We've got to stay on the training field. We've got to stay on it. And David, oh, is he in the training field? He's being chased from place to place. He's living in caves. He's living in the open air uh, in uh, the wilderness part of, of Israel. He's away from uh, his home. His home was basically stolen from him. He's been, uh, he's been chased. Uh, his, the, the woman he married also, uh, he had to uh, abandon her as well. He uh, had a, a seat at the table of the king every night to eat. He's abandoned all of it. And um, he's had to in order to live. And so he's in the middle of a chase, but he's the one being chased. Saul is chasing him. Chastening, chasing him, and he's being chastened by the Lord. Uh, so verse 1 says, Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah, opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimim, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness and saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. You know, it is amazing that in, uh, in chapter 24, although we really don't know of the time sequence, there could have been, uh, there could have even been years in between chapter 24 and 26, but uh, chapter 24, we saw Saul go into a cave. Uh, David was in the cave. Saul didn't know about it. Uh, David cut off a little bit of his Saul's robe. Could have killed him very easy. Uh, but then um, when Saul leave, David also went up to the top of the mountain and says, Look what I have, Saul. Saul repents. Not a godly repentance, but says, Oh, David, you're a better man than I. And uh, he, he leaves. Isn't it amazing we're about to see the same thing happening we're, in chapter 26. We've already seen it. Saul is going to go back on the chase. You know, uh, this is about the best you can do without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit to remind you, to, re to remind you. It says at this point the, that the, the Spirit had departed from Saul. But here, without the Holy Spirit to remind Saul that, wait, what are you doing, Saul? Why are you still chasing after David? Don't you remember what happened back, to, back in chapter 24, uh, the events there? Uh, but no, it's as if it didn't happen. And I tell you, this is what it's like apart from a regular devotion time with the Lord, par apart from a prayer life, we'll run out and do stuff as if things we've already learned well enough had never even happened. That, that's, that's, how, that's how corruptible, the, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter uh, 5 that the flesh grows corrupt. And, and I tell you, if we're not in the Word of God, if we're not being filled by the Spirit daily, we'll, we'll, God will give us great lessons that we'll learn from, but it'll be as if they never happened. We'll go on chasing the same thing our flesh always loves, loves to chase. 
if we're not in the Word of God. So what does he do? It, as if the uh, chapter 24 never happened, he, he goes out uh, against, him, against David in the wilderness. And it says in verse 4 that, uh, well, yeah, it says in verse 4 that David sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the, saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, we're going to hear a bunch about him in chapters uh, to come. He's uh, Saul's general. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. So they were all asleep and it was at night. They were all sound asleep. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother of Job, saying to them, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. Uh, interesting little note here that this, this Hittite uh, is with David. He is one of David's mighty, mighty men, or he may not have been. I, I, I don't remember if, if this one per particular was one of the mighty men, but he's one of the 600 men that are following David around, uh, faithful to him and faithful to the Lord. And it's interesting that the Hittites were a group of people that God promised Moses that they would, the Israelites, when they went up into the land of Canaan, would displace them. Uh, why? Because they worshiped foreign God, had all kinds of terrible idolatrous practices. Uh, practices. But here, there's a Hittite with David, and we will see this um, throughout the life of David. Uh, he is a man who, with, the, uh, with the, uh, the favor of God on him, he attracted Gentiles to him. And, and I'm... I've been reading uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah myself in my devotion time, and it's interesting how um, Israel was told time and again that Gentiles would come and become God-fears if they were, uh, you know, walking, walking with the Lord, and then also at, at, a, at a future prophetic time. But, um, uh, but, but here you have a Hittite with them, and uh, we have every reason to believe uh, that uh, this person is a follower of Jehovah now. And, but David asked uh, Ahimelech and Amishai, who's going to go down into the camp? Now, this is a remarkable uh, request, considering Saul's in the middle, and he's surrounded by 300 of the special forces of Israel. Verse 2 said they were the chosen men of Israel. Uh, rather, not 300, 3,000. And he's right in the middle of them. And here is David. Uh, once again, uh, you, th this is the David we know and love. We, we saw him uh, in the very last chapter where he was going to wipe out all of Nabal's uh, uh, household. We've seen him in his low points. We saw him with the, uh, uh, with the priest who I think also, also by the name of Ahimelech, different than Ahimelech, um, but uh, lying to him, actually repeatedly. And so he's in the training period. He's in the Hebrews 12 chastening, training period. He's in the training period that produces, Hebrews 12 says, peaceable fruits of righteousness. Uh, but uh, here's the David we love. Uh, just a remarkable thing. Uh, willing to sneak between a thousand, thousands of so soldiers and go right up to Saul. Uh, verse 8 says, uh, rather, verse, um, uh, at the end of verse 6, it says, uh, Abishai says, I will go down with you. So shows his bravery and his loyalty to David. Ver uh, he had seen the hand of God on David by now. He, by now, Abishai knew, look, I, I'm not endangering myself. The hand of God is on this guy. Uh, would, be, would all of us be uh, that kind of man or woman, where uh, the people of God, it, it's so clear that, um, that the hand of God is on us, that people are, are willingly followed because they see the, see the favor of God on us. So David, verse 7, and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground. And Abner, 
stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. You can just imagine the scene. Then David, Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. Verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out and battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away and no man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. See, this was uh, an intervention of God. This was nothing other than, than a miracle. Uh, here, what we see here, and uh, you know, the Lord is doing a couple things here. One, he, he's, he's showing David, David in no uncertain terms, I will be with you wherever you go. You do not have to fear. But he's also, it's also something for, for Saul to learn, and um, uh, we'll see that just in a few verses. I love it when it says in verse 10, David said to Abishai, he said, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. David is recognizing something that we all, you and I, need to recognize, that this problem that I have with this person over me. So some of you have a boss. Some of you have a husband. Some of you have, uh, some of you may be upset with a mayor or the governor or the president of the United States. It's ultimately God's problem. We need to hand these people that are over us in authority to God. What we don't want to do is in our own strength, in our own strength, try to, push them out of the way or get rid of them or, 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 or whatever. I, 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 I don't think it's a coincidence, by the way, that we're hearing this for the second time and in, in three chapters, the Lord knows our wicked hearts. And so this authority thing is really important for him. So uh, verse 13 says, so, so again, he's got a jug of water and he's got a spear that were right next to Saul. And he went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer Abner? Now keep in mind it's dark. <laughs> then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling? Calling out to the king. Who are you? Who are you? So it was dark. He didn't know who he was. And David said to Abner, now he's really going to lay it on Abner now. Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your Lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the Lord your king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. So see, look, I was right by uh, your, your master, Abner. I got this spear and I got this jug of water. Verse 17. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he says, Why does my lord, uh, David, this is David uh, continuing in verse 18. Why does my lord thus pursue a servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? What have I done that you're coming out over and over again? Verse uh, 19 says, Now therefore, please, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, 
meaning if it's the children of men that have stirred you up against me, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So at the beginning there of 19 is a, a really interesting statement. Now, uh, many of us, I know me, we've run over it. I probably, who knows how many times I've read this, but uh, for the first time, I'm looking at it and thinking, what in the world does this mean? David says at the beginning of verse 19 to Saul, if the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. What? If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. Okay, on Tuesday nights, we don't let these go by. <laughs> on Sunday mornings, I leave it to the Holy Spirit because we can't go in depth. We don't have the time. Uh, it still takes us months and months and months and months to get through books of the Bible on Sunday morning. But Sunday evening, uh, r rather on Tuesday evening, did I say Sunday evening? On Tuesday evening, we like to uh, dig down deep. What does that mean? When David, uh, David tells Saul, let my Lord the King hear the words of your servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. So I looked this up, and sure enough, opinions are all over the place as to what, they, uh, what this means. There's a, a lot of confu confusion here, but really, the, uh, two seems to, uh, seem to prevail. The first one is that, remember previously that it said an evil, the Lord sent an evil spirit against Saul and stirred him up to do real stupid things like what he's doing now with David. And so when David says, if, listen, if this is from the Lord, if the Lord is making you uh, do this thing, uh, and it's, it, he has sent an evil, evil spirit to do it, let's do what I used to do when I played the harp and calmed your soul. Let's just make an offering to the Lord together. Let's do that to, to appease his wrath. They could do a, a burnt offering uh, to, uh, or, or rather a, a trespass offering. A burnt offering, you weren't appeasing God's wrath. A trespass offering or sin offering, you were. But it would have been a, like a trespass offering. Let's offer that up together uh, because he's, he's coming against you and we can do that together. The interpretation that uh, I prefer is he's saying, look, if the Lord has stirred me up against you, uh, then... Let me know about it. I'd like to know about it because I would like to go offer the Lord a trespass offering. So it's uh, without much further ado, uh, th that's what David says. Look, if the Lord has done this, pray or let's figure this out that, that, or, or tell me reason to believe the Lord has done this and not men saw. And, and if I've done something against you, I will offer, offer up a trespass offering. That's, I think, the better interpre interpretation. But if it is the children of men, meaning if there's some person whispering in his ear, and there probably was, uh, there was a demon w whispering in his ear uh, as well, because by now th this, this guy, is, uh, he's got a lot of problems and he's listening to the devil. But, but if, if his counselors, uh, uh, Doeg uh, is still around, uh, stirring Saul up against David or, or whoever, David says, let him be cursed because they've driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go and serve other gods. And, and, and this is really a precious, precious statement on the part of David. It shows his love for the tabernacle of God. It, it, which is what he means when he says, they're driving me I've been forced that I can't even go to the tabernacle, which is the reference to the inheritance of the Lord. The inheritance of the Lord was the tabernacle, where all Israel was required to go three times a year to worship in that place. And, and there was a celebration in that place. And I think of all the Psalms where David says, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. This is a guy who loved being at the tabernacle of God. And, and he's saying, 
If it wasn't the Lord, but men have convinced you to do what they're doing, let them be accursed because they've driven me away from God's inheritance. And then at the end of the verse it says, and they're trying to drive me away to another nation like uh, the nation of the, 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 where the Philistines are, where they worship other gods, it says there. Verse 20, So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a, a partridge in the mountains. Verse 21, Saul says, I have sinned. Return, my David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. So once again, David takes the high road. And man, this, this is the mother of all high roads. I mean, it's amazing. The nobility, the the the. the, the the Spirit of God is upon this guy, David, and he's doing things unheard of in his day. Uh, this, he's going to be a man that was going to help uh, draw in people back again to the Lord. He's called at one place the, the, the shepherd of Israel, David is, because he, he's, really, he's, he's demonstrating them just the, the, the goodness of God. And, and Saul sees it, says, I played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here's the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his fruitfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today. But I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, indeed as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So, I don't know if you've ever been in a time of disobedience. Um, I know that um, I have where, where you hear the voice of the Lord and He's just telling you, you're, you're not going to prevail in this path that you're on. And in your heart of hearts, you know you're not going to, but you're continuing it. Now, praise the Lord. He had, he had grace on me and turned, uh, turned me around. But uh, here, Saul, Saul knows. He knows what's going to happen to David. He says, you're going to do great things and you shall still prevail. And then he said, so, and then it says, so David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So this is fascinating to me that uh, this happened, there's two full chapters. This gets a lot of ink. Chapter 24 uh, and chapter 26, you have this story almost identical. David has the ability to kill uh, Saul, but he doesn't do it. And, uh, you know, I don't know Calvary Chapel, but uh, when you're reading things like this um, at, at a time like we're in, I think it's the Lord reminding us again and really, really clear ways we need to we do need to honor the president we do need to honor the governor and the mayor we need to follow their as we're going back into church we need to follow their guidelines we can't think we know better but the fact that not only are we reading chapter 24 and 26 uh, but it we just read Romans chapter 13 on Sunday morning where it says that there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are from God and whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves so important uh, in this time to be honoring our authority but these things also again and, and I know I sound like a broken record oh man does the Lord use your boss 
to fashion you into the man or woman that that God wants you to be someday. If you're jumping from job to job to job and every time it's because you have a bummer bummer boss, you're just showing, what you're showing is, uh, is that you're in a place of great immaturity. God's trying to bring you out of it, but you refuse to. And so when you fail the test once, he's just going to make you take the test again. And if you fail that test, he's going to make you, he's faithful. He's your God. He's your father. He's going to make you uh, pass the test. He's going to make you uh, take the test again and over and over and over again. So why not really seek the Lord and pray if you have a boss? Um, or if there's other, some other authority in your life, it, if, if it's your husband or some other person where it, it's just really, really difficult and you spend all your time sort of wiggling your way out of the authority, be really careful um, about that because God's really serious about it. He just had two out of three chapters uh, dedicated to this one issue. And it's uh, be careful about how you treat treating authority and and remember what uh, what he tells uh, what he tells uh, Abishai when David has the opportunity to kill him he says the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come so you know at, at, at with respect to your boss this w is not going to apply to to a husband but with respect to your boss or other uh, authority over it God will remove them in their time He'll remove them in their time. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to stay in their job together. I'm just saying my experience as a pastor is I see uh, folks over and over again, God is faithful to bring them uh, an authority over them to learn discipline and relying on him and crying out to him in the morning, asking him for the strength to get through the day. He wants to develop those disciplines in their life. So, so very, very important. So chapter 27. Chapter 27 uh, through 30. I recently did a Sunday morning message. If you're listening to this online, I, I do uh, strongly encourage you to go to the Sunday morning message that was given a few weeks ago. But here we are again. It says in chapter 27, verse 1, David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. What? Wait a second. Did he not, chapter 26 just happen? Actually, it may not have just happened because as I said, uh, through some of these, the w the scholars think there's about a 10 year period. So there's a good likelihood that one, two, even three years had passed by. But you still got to ask the question. Come on, David, you went to Saul in chapter 26 when he was surrounded by 3,000 people, and no one woke up. You went in, got his spear and jug of water, and went out. Not to mention all the other times that, that, um, that David was, was rescued from Saul. David knew that he was going to be king of Israel. He had been anointed by, uh, by Samuel. But uh, here he is, it's a saying in his heart, Now I shall perish Someday, by the hand of Saul, there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Now that's the, the, that's the, the, the land where verse 19 is talking about where there are other gods. He had, there was just a reference to that in verse 19 of the previous chapter. Um, th that's where David in his heart was saying to Saul... Look, at, if it's men stirring you up against me, I, let them be cursed because they're trying to drive me out to another place where th there's other gods. And here he is saying now, there's nothing better for me to do than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. David says, it, sa it says again in verse 1, David said in his heart, I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. And 
at the risk of repeating what many of you heard a few weeks ago. In Proverb, what does it say? I believe it's is it 28, 26 or something like that. It says, he who trusts in his heart is a fool. C.H. Bogatsky, the devotional writer, says this, we have more to fear from our own hearts than all our other enemies. And man, it is true. It is so, so true. So important, again, that we stay in the Word of God, that we be uh, staying in prayer every day because our heart is, is, is so ready to deceive us. And uh, it, 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 it says here that it's a better place for me to go. God may not, may not rescue me anymore, even though God had done it over and over and over again. So verse 2 says, David arose and went with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Makok, king of Gath. So David went with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahilunim, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so Saul sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So here, I, I, you know, a lot of times we, we hear very often times that our enemies are our heart, Satan, the devil, the world, and um, the devil, the world, and our flesh, or our heart. In this context, the heart is, means the, the flesh. And uh, it's so interesting, isn't it, that, and this is so true, that the, 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 the devil plays off the flesh. He plays off the flesh. You know, when Eve saw the, uh, the fruit in Genesis chapter 3, uh, she, she looked at it and she began to be tempted. And that's when Satan comes in and, and say, did God really say that you cannot eat of any fruit of the garden? He, he plays it. And so what the same thing going here, um, I believe, I believe that um, the demonic realm although they don't know all things, uh, they, they knew what was going on with David. Uh, they very well may known and somehow that he uh, was going to be the first king in the line of the Messiah. And they are just telling him, uh, look, give up on God. What, what, God. what God would make you go through everything that this God is is uh, making you go through. Surely that's not a good God. You know, I just read a devotional a couple days ago by Richard Baxter, the, uh, the, the Puritan. He said this, It is a principal design of the devil to hide God's goodness from you. <laughs> and that really is true. David here loses faith in the goodness of God. And he goes to the land of, land of the Philistines. But as so often is the case, when we are uh, tempted by the devil, the initial payoff, there's an initial payoff that's like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Wow. You know? Look what I got here. Saul's not trying to, uh, to, to chase me anymore. It says there uh, that Saul despaired anymore of chasing him. But not only that, it says that he got a whole city. He got a whole city. The city of Ziklag. All for himself. Didn't even have to build it. And so uh, this is so often is the case when we give in to sin. There's a pleasure about it. And I've, I've talked to different Christians before who have just done an about face into a major backsliding area of, of their life and and when I talk with them, it's almost like I'm talking to a different person because they are just flush with they are just flush with a uh, 
a, a, a carnal, almost diabolical, they're not possessed by the devil, but they certainly are following his lead, a, a carnal and diabolical confidence that everything's going to be great in their life. And the reason is, oftentimes, the initial payoff with sin, it's comforting. There's a, there's a comfort. The, 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 the sin is pleasurable for a season. There's a comfort in it. And sometimes, like the case here, there's even a payoff. It's like, wow, this is really, really, really uh, productive of me to be following in this way. Why, did, why was I following the Lord all this time? The devil has a way of doing that to, for, for the initial payoff to be uh, really great. So he gets a whole uh, city. Verse 7, Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. And as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned to Achish. And then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of uh, Jeremielites or against the southern area of the Kenites. So David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gash, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, Thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, meaning hate him, therefore he, therefore he will be my servant forever. So what David was doing, he was lying to the king, and uh, the king from time to time would get a report from David, and he was making out that he was going into Judah and killing Israelites. And it's, it goes on to say uh, that uh, so the king never would f uh, find out the truth it says he would kill every single person in the villages uh, that he was going to. Uh, it, it's, so he wasn't killing Il um, Israelites. He would go uh, against the Amalekites and other enemies of, of Israel. But, but it's not, actually it's in verse 8, the Geshrites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Uh, but there's no indication that the Lord was telling him to do it. But so that no one would get back to Gath with the truth, he would just kill absolutely everyone absolutely he says verse 11 he would save neither man nor woman alive and so uh, a lot of blood on his hands here and uh, at a later time when we're told that David was unable to build the temple uh, and, and he, a, a reason was given it was because he was a man of blood and there are different opinions on on what exactly that that means but one interpretation is it's because of chapter 27 and chapters like this where he took the blood of people unjustly uh, and so there were there were co uh, consequences under that interpretation but uh, but what the most important thing that I want you to understand here is that you cannot you cannot maintain your godly behavior when you leave the land of God, the people of God, the house of God, and you go live in the midst of people who really don't care about God. They live according to the dictates of their own heart and this type of thing. And I, I just can't tell you how many times I've seen this. And someone goes and says, oh, I have a good, uh, really cheap rent at this place. Uh, I will save so much money. Um, there's, there's, there, I'm going to have four roommates. Oh, really? Are any of them Christian? Oh, no, but I'll be okay. And, and then six months later, uh, the guy or sometimes it's a woman showing up because, you know, they've been regularly getting drunk or in fornication or, or something like that. Again, 
we have more to fear from our own heart than all our other enemies. We need to be seeking the Lord in prayer and also getting godly counsel. Getting godly counsel. Um, at this time, ironically, David did have a priest, the high priest, who had the ephod. He could have consulted Abiathar, but it, there's nothing about that. There's nothing in chapter 27 about David ever talking with God. Uh, but brother, sister, you are just as much subject to that. Uh, I think you need to be, I, we don't want to be legalistic, but you need to be careful what workplace that you're going into. I mean, there are some work in, in environments that, um, listen, unless you've heard the audible voice of the Lord literally speaking to you, don't think you can go in there surrounded in your workplace by people actively engaging in sin and this kind of thing and somehow maintain your Christian witness. I, I, I got to tell you, uh, you need to be care careful. The principle of chapter 27, you can't go live in the land of Philistines and think that that's not going to affect your behavior and think it's not going to destroy your witness. It did both with David here. It affected his behavior and he's lying and he's, he's murdering people he's not supposed to murder and uh, it affects it obviously affected his witness too as well. And so um, that was uh, chapter 27. If you'd like a, uh, an, another version of that, that's on Sunday morning uh, a few weeks ago. Chapter 28 says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out... Uh, with me to battle and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know that that surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I, may, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And so uh, more on this later, but this just is an illustration of how low you will go. I'm sure there was a time where David, if he would ever been told, do you think you would ever agree, David, at some point in the future to actually join the Philistines in a battle against Israel? He would have said, absolutely no way. In the same way that Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, um, said, I would never, ever deny you or forsake you. Listen, again, we have more to fear our heart, more to fear our flesh than all our other enemies. Uh, uh, if, if we get away from the Lord, being aligned with the Lord, if we start gathering a certain amount of people around us, there is no limit to what we're able to do. Here, David, David, this is David, agreeing here. And we're going to see him actually physically do it and line up against Israel. God's going to save him from it. But he's agreeing to go... Uh, a fight against really God himself, the people of God, Israel. Again, God is going to rescue him um, from it. But let's continue. Verse 3, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him, and buried him in Ram in his own city. And Saul had put the Medians and Spiritists out of the land. You see, Saul was a very religious person. And so, I had mentioned this a while back at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Look, if you look, compare Saul's life and David's life, in many respects, uh, Saul looks like the better person from an outward religious standpoint. I mean, here you get a guy uh, kicking out all the medians and the spiritists. Uh, there's no report of uh, Saul ever committing adultery. David did. Uh, there, uh, the, the way that David treated his sons, um, you know... It, well, I, I guess a better way of saying it, the fruit of his son's lives. Oh my goodness. I, 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 the, David's life was not a good witness, but Saul has, has who? Jonathan. Um, and, and so he does religious things, but when we use the expression, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. That's what we're talking about, this kind of thing. Saul on the outside looks really religious, um, but he's doing it to mask a life that his real religion is 
He's his own God. He's a substitute for God, and he has full control over his life. So in verse 4, it says, The Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Now, compare this again to David who had just gone into at night Saul's camp and in spite of the fact that he was surrounded by 3,000 men. And I just love, I can't quote the, I, I, I can't uh, quote the verse enough. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Anyone know what it is? Oh, that's not it. It's not it's not it. I got the wrong. I got the. Who, where is it here? Who, 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 who? Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't have the reference for you, but it is. Uh, yeah, I don't have it. It. Uh, the verse is. The wicked. Run when no one pursues him but the righteous are as bold as a lion the wicked man runs when no one pursues him but the righteous are as bold as a lion and here you have uh, a man who is a wicked man it's proverbs 28 1 not Proverbs. I thought it was Proverbs 18.1. That's another oft-quoted verse. But uh, Proverbs 28.1. The wicked runs when no one pursues him. And so here, uh, there is someone pursuing Saul, but you get it. He's not righteous. The righteous are as bold as a lion. We just saw a righteous man who was bold as a lion in, the, in, in chapter 26. But here, this is one of the uh, th this is this is one of the natural consequences of living a, a life against the Lord. You know, in in the book of Galatians, it says, "Whatever a man sows, he will reap." He, uh, r rather, whatever a man sows, he will reap. Singular. <laughs> and um, when you're sowing seeds of disobedience. You're just going to reap fear, a rational fear, and every other kind of fear. And so it says that Saul's trembling greatly. Verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Now, this is a, an extremely sobering verse. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. And either by, either by dreams or by the Urim, meaning by the high priest, or by the prophets. It's a sobering verse. Let me first explain what it does not mean. A, a, a lot of younger believers will, will, will read this and say, what if this has happened to me? What if this has happened to me? Well, to that I... So I have a very simple response. There's a promise. If you have asked Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you're saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. And Ephesians chapter 1 says that the moment you believe, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and seals, S-E-A-L-S, -S, seals, your salvation. And John chapter 15, verse 7, which is a promise to every saved believer, it says, if you, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And so we have a promise. If we go to God and we abide in his word, and we abide in his presence. And if we've sinned, even if we've sinned as bad as Saul, 
If we're a believer, it's 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and then we can go immediately into that abiding with the Lord. He will hear you. He will hear you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. He will hear you. You don't have to worry about being under a curse or something like this and, and the Lord not answering you. But this, uh, it's a scary verse. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Isaiah 59.2 says this, and this is to anybody, including anyone who's listening right now or watching, that is living a life of sin. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We, brother, sister, don't deceive yourself. Don't think you can live a life of sin. And when I say live a life of sin, having your hand clutched to some sin in your life and refusing to let go of it. Not talking about, you know, when you cursed earlier in today, I hope you didn't, but if you cursed uh, earlier in today or you did some other kind of thing where you, you, you just confess with the Lord, Lord, I don't want any of this part of my life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about willingly laying hold of sin. God doesn't hear you. There's n there can be no expectation of answered prayer when that happens. I have this verse written down in my prayer journal. And I have it written down for the purpose of uh, praying to the Lord that I would pray this kind with this kind of confidence. But it says this in 1 John 3.22, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do that which is pleasing in his sight. You see, there's a condition to God hearing. There's a condition to answered prayer. And it's just a simple life of obedience. It's not being perfect. No one's perfect. But, but here, um, there's this absolute, absolute silence. And so Saul freaks out. Verse 7, So Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now we just read that he had kicked all the mediums, uh, 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 mediums out of the land but, um, and the spiritists out of the land in verse 3. But he says, he, he, you know, at this point he's, he's frantic. Just go, go find someone. And his servant said, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went out, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And just so uh, there's no doubt about this, Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is Moses declaring the law of God. Uh, he is saying, there shall not be found among you anyone who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. And so Saul, without shame, uh, going, uh, and uh, he is asking this woman to call up the dead. Verse 9, the woman said to him, Look, you know that Saul, what Saul has done. Remember, he's disguised. She doesn't know it's him. How he has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord. Wow. Talk about the violation of uh, the third commandment. Do not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Eek. Makes you cringe. He swore to the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the Lord said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? 
And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And so he said to her, What is this form? And she said, An old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. So that's the authority, the mantle representing the authority. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now, interesting little uh, story here, um, to say the least. <laughs> I, you know, this is an example of a medium doing a work where, because of the Lord's intervention here, the person who died, his spirit had actually been brought up. And, uh, but a warning for you, number one, this should never, this should never be any kind of authority allowing you or me to do such a thing. Deuteronomy is clear about that. Um, but also, many times when people uh, go to uh, have their fortune told or they go to consult the dead, they will walk away and they will say something like, well, this person knew something. It, 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 it was real what happened because they knew stuff about the, me. There's no possible way that anyone could ever have known. Well, the reason for that is because you have just consulted with someone who uh, has opened themselves up to the demonic world and the devil knows stuff about you that no one else knows. He knows stuff about you. Uh, and so, wow, is it a bad idea to consult a medium or spiritist. And they always use fear. They always try to get you to come back because they want your money. So they put enough fear in you to make you come back, but enough hope in you um, also to make you feel good about the experience. But here, through the intervention of God, very unusual story, Samuel uh, comes back in, the, in, in spirit form. And, and in verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines made war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he's spoken by me. Remember, Samuel saying, I already told you, the king was ripped out of your hand. He, someone else better than you is going to take it. Samuel said, he's been woken up from the, we'll, we'll discuss it in, in a little bit. He's in Abraham's, he was in Abraham's bosom. Um, or Hades, that was called, the, in the afterlife. He's called up and he's saying, look, you didn't have to call me up out of the dead. To, I already told, excuse me, I already told you this. Uh, he says, and the Lord has done for himself as he has spoken by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, Saul, and give it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And so he's, gonna, he's, he's saying, you're going to die tomorrow. You're going to die. Now, explanation here what what in the world is going on and again this is this is a chapter it's a standalone chapter we shouldn't do we should have no practice in our life nor should we be building doctrine or uh, out of this one chapter but we do know from Luke 16 it's the uh, it's the parable of it's not sorry it's not a parable it, it's the story that Jesus gives of the certain uh, of a certain rich man uh, and Lazarus. And if you remember, Jesus says in Luke 16, uh, 19, there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died, and it was 
carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died and also died. The rich man also died and was buried. And then throughout the rest of this story, not a parable, a story, there's actually a conversation between them, although it's, it's said that there's a chasm, meaning there is like a wall which prohibits one uh, a person or a spirit going from one side to the other. This is where Samuel came up from. He came up from what's called uh, Abraham's bosom or Hades. Now when Jesus died, we see this at the end of Matthew, and I believe in other places, uh, uh, teach on this, all that Abraham's bosom was emptied out of the righteous of God's people and taken up into heaven. However, the others, the bad, the, the, the people who were evil, like this rich man in Luke chapter 16, they stayed there. Uh, they stayed in that place. It's, it, it, it's essentially what we would refer to as hell, which is the waiting tank until people who do not believe in Jesus are cast into the lake of fire. But that's where, uh, that's where, uh, where Samuel had come up from. And it's, you know, people ask this question. Uh, they, they read here in verse 19 where Samuel tells Saul, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Does that mean that Saul's going to heaven? No, it just means it's going to this Luke, 19, Luke 16 place where both sides of the, the wall can speak to each other. We don't know if uh, Saul... Uh, is um, gonna, you're going to be able to see him in heaven someday. We do not know that. Verse 20 says, Immediately after Saul heard that, he fell full length to the ground, was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, and he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore... Please, heed also the voice of your maidservant. Let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Very sad. They arose and went away that night, and he would be dying the next day. Wow. Not a good life. Um, not a good way to end your life. His last night was spent in the house of a witch. What a tragedy his life was. But here you have, it's, it's interesting where, where you come when you're at the end of verse 28. David's in a terrible fix. He's a righteous person in a, in a serious backslide. And he's in a terrible fix. He's lining up to fight God's people. So he's in one fix. Saul, who again, David is lining up to fight against, it finds out that he's going to die the next day. And he and all his, all his children. And so, rather I should say he and all his sons. I, d I don't know if his daughters, I don't remember if all his daughters um, were, were put to death. I don't think they were. But um, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm certain they weren't. But, uh, uh, you know, as, you, as we reflect on this, as, as we go into our prayer time, how much misery can we avoid by just obeying the Lord? By a simple life of obedience. And so he, there David was in a complete fix and it was a result of his disobedience. You say, well, David's life wasn't simple. Or you, I, by saying simple life obedience, I don't, 
I don't mean that it's going to be an easy life. The psalmist says, actually David says, uh, the righteous man has many troubles, but the Lord rescues him from their all. We're never from them all. We're, we're never um, promised um, an, an easy life, but in terms of our life with God, we are promised a simple life, just simply obeying Him. You know the the uh, the verse I go after. Uh, go, uh, I, I I remind myself all the time, Ephesians two ten which says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work which God for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them that's all we're required to do just walk forward and sometimes you know when we have the souls chasing us in our life when we've been out living in the open air in the wilderness we're living in caves uh, that's about all we can bring ourselves to do is is walk but Obedience is still simple. Uh, we know what we're supposed to do. We have the Word of God. So in that sense, it's really, really, really simple. We only confuse, we only say we're confused when we don't want to obey. So I'm really confused. I don't understand what, what the Lord's doing and what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, you're not confused at all. You just don't want to do what He wants you to do. But here we see a righteous man, David, and also an unrighteous person, Saul, they're both in a tremendous fix, a tremendous quagmire. They're, they're in just a big mess, all because of a refusal to obey. Calvary Chapel, I just strongly, strongly encourage you, particularly in this season of civil unrest and the COVID virus with all the quarantine and everything that it entails, just live a simple life obedience and leave the results to God. And, and y you may say, well, if I simply obey, this will happen, that will happen. How could God ever get me out of that? How could God get, get me out of this? David said, that was David said the same thing. That's why he left a simple life of disobedience. God will deliver you. He will be with you. He will speak to you. Just live that simple life of obedience.